Welcome to the Voices of War, a podcast with a simple vision, to bring to life the true costs of war through the voices of those who've lived it. I'm your host, Maz, and I hope you enjoy this episode. Hi there. This is an episode that seeks to update our listeners on the current situation in Afghanistan. That is the reason why I'm also publishing it as soon as it's ready, which is slightly out of cycle of my normal publishing schedule. The events in Afghanistan are unfolding so fast that I thought it wise to put this episode out as soon as it was ready. Okay, let's go to Dr. Mike Martin. Today, I've asked Dr. Mike Martin to join me again on the podcast to discuss recent events in Afghanistan. You can hear Mike's full bio in our previous episode linked in the show notes, as well as through his own website, which is also linked. In short, though, Mike has spent years studying Afghanistan, did his PhD on British involvement in Helmand, is a fluent Pashto speaker, and is the author of the book An Intimate War, considered by many Afghanistan experts as the most authoritative book on the dynamics and true nature of conflict in this part of the world. Dr. Mike, thanks for joining me on the, the show again. Hey, Maz. Thanks, mate. Uh, and just for context, uh, we're recording this on a Sunday, the 15th of August, and it is 6.45 in Kabul at the moment. Uh, and reports, we're hearing reports that Kabul is under serious threat. Uh, and over the past days and weeks and even months, uh, the situation in Afghanistan has deteriorated uh, significantly. Uh, so I've asked Mike to come on. And uh, uh, Mike, just maybe before we kind of delve into the current situation, maybe you can set the context for us uh, and maybe just uh, uh, talk to us about what has happened uh, since the Doha Agreement and even what the Doha Agreement might be about. Sure. Uh, so I'm sure all your listeners will be aware um, the US's allies have been involved in a war in Afghanistan since 2001. Although we can't make it. assumptions, yes. <laughs> yeah. Um, so the, in, in February 2020, um, Trump fulfilled one of his campaign promises. He had a lot of campaign promises and he was quite big on fulfilling them, uh, which was get, you know, end all these wars. And so um, the US signed an agreement with um, the ta- Taliban representatives in Doha. And um, it was kind of called a peace deal at the time, but it wasn't. It was, it, it, it was, a, it was an exit agreement. Uh, agreement being quite a loose word. Effectively, uh, the US was going to pull out. The, the Taliban promised that uh, Afghanistan wouldn't be used for as a base for terrorism. You know, they cut their mm. cut their links to AQ and all the rest of it. The Taliban and the no, very important, right? The Afghan government were completely cut out of this mm. um, yeah. agreement, which is crazy. Which was a long-standing precondition of the United States to any talks with the Taliban, right? So Trump just said. Pfft get rid of that um it had the security council approval though as well right and the key players like russia pakistan and so on all, all supported it but the afghan government was not at all involved right absolutely absolutely you know russia and china i think as we're going to get into we might get into geopolitics later like course, russia yeah. and china there's a there's a huge regional play going on at the mm. moment anyway so they had this agreement and then also in that agreement they you know the taliban were meant to have a dialogue with the afghan government but that just hasn't really happened i mean it's kind of fits and starts talking past each other really and then also the us was going to release 5000 taliban prisoners and a lot of these were held in afghan government custody so actually the us had to kind of pressure the afghans to release them hmm. um so 
it's kind of madness. And then it was done over a very short period of time. So, you know, the Russians, when they decided to leave, they in 1986, they put Najibullah in and then they spent three years telling Najibullah to broaden the base of his government, uh, mm. include more tribes, do reconciliation, you know, reach out to other kind of ethnicities and regions and all that kind of stuff mm. and pull together something that would last uh, as long as the Russians put some money in. And that did last. It lasted until 1992. So it lasted three years. Um now, the Ghani government, so Ashraf Ghani, the uh, former president, the former president? <laughs> that was a Freudian slip. <laughs> Freudian president slip, of yeah. Afghanistan. <laughs> well, because, well, we, we've got sort of, you know, obviously, I, I, I've been up since um, many, many hours because I'm trying to get a good friend out of Kabul as well. Um, mm. So I'm trying to sort of work on my contacts to do that. But uh, certainly one of the... and as you can imagine on social media everything's been rumors and craziness and i've been speaking to people all over the place but you know yeah. one of the rumors was that there was a, a, a helicopter that landed on the rooftop of the presidential palace so one assumes that rani is gone right okay, um, okay. but at that, that at this stage is but, uh, speculation uh, given, given the time and, and we might yeah throughout the day we might even confirm that if that's what you're saying you know by the time this comes out then yeah. you know you'll be able to yeah you can do it yeah um and so the where did we get to in that story? Sorry, my no, no. We were just so, no, 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 no. Absolutely, and I and I appreciate that you're you're under a lot of pressure. And, and just for context as well, you've been speaking to a lot of other uh, media outlets uh, far bigger than uh, the Voices of War. Uh, so you've been up there's, for many hours, nothing, but there's nothing, nothing bigger than the Voices of War. Mate. <laughs> <laughs> nothing. No, but we, I think the context we're trying to set. Well, I appreciate the plug. Yeah. The context was the Doha Agreement and where that got us. Uh, to basically, yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, you know, yeah. and to comparison with the Russians, right? They, yeah. And they and and what Rani had never done was build a broad-based political settlement. It's Afghanistan, right? If you're the government or you want to rule Afghanistan, you need a broad-based political franchise, or you need a lot of military force, or some kind of combination of the two. And Rani, well, so his background, right? Is he's a kind of World Bank academic. He actually wrote a book on fixing failed states. So this <laughs> really is his whole worldview crumbling around him. Hmm. And he was a technocrat. Like he, this whole, the way that you and I, when we've deployed and we've done our, you know, post-conflict reconstruction, this sort of conflict by spreadsheet stuff, mm. very technical in nature, you know, number of textbooks delivered, elections mm. run, all that kind of stuff. And there's a box, you know, marked inclusive political settlement and you tick it. That's right. But it's a formula. If then, if then, if then, right? It's a very, it's a, it's a neat formula, which doesn't, of but course, But war work. is political, yeah. right? All war is political. Hmm. This is a kind of fundamental nature of it. And so what inclusive political assessment means in Afghanistan is talking to some people that actually you don't, you know, you don't really agree with at all. Hmm. Like you need to bring in, there's the internal piece about warlords and whatever. And then there's the external, the regional piece, which we'll talk about, you know, Pakistan, Iran, Russia, Central Asian states, China, of course, India. So the US and its allies spent 20 years there didn't build a broad political franchise inside the country because they viewed it as a technical like conflict by spreadsheet mm. exercise and didn't really do much regional work either because each of those ethnic groups in Afghanistan has got links, you know, the Pashtuna in Pakistan as well, the Uzbeks are in Uzbekistan, Tajiks in Tajikistan, and so on and so forth. Mm, mm, mm. Um, so any... any mm. Yeah, no, I was, was going to say, I mean, I think that's something we, we spoke at length in our previous episode as well is the, the, you know, and we refer to it as the ecosystem, that it's a place that is alive. It's anything but black and white. And we, you know, 
we broadly speaking didn't really understand the war you know the war we thought we fought was not the war we fought uh, and yeah. i think we're seeing that now right and and uh, and that's maybe maybe a way to bring us into kind of the more recent events because i think that's yeah. um that's something that's i think surprised many people is the speed and pace of mm. the taliban uh takeover maybe is there is there a reason that you can kind of put to that as to why it has even occurred, why it's happened so quickly, why it's happened. I mean, the, the U.S. withdrawal, of course, and so on. I mean, I imagine that would have yeah. to play a part. Well, the, fa- the foundational stuff is what we've already discussed, right? Ghani didn't build a political settlement that mm-hmm. was old enough. So in the north of the country, there are a series of kind of major warlords and in the west that he, you know, following this kind of post-conflict reconstruction methodology, you know, you kind of alienate actors mm. and mm-hmm. not alienate, but, you know, disenfranchise armed actors that are outside of government and build institutions and all that kind of stuff. But actually the reality is those guys provided the, the fighting force mm. or they could have provided the fighting force, the anchor really of the government's fighting force. Mm. Um, and so progressively what we've seen, obviously Biden came in in Fed January, February this year. Yeah did a review of Trump's policy because that was saying that they were all US troops going to be out by May. Um, he did a review of that and really only announced. I, I, I think the US military expected Biden to come in and reverse it. I think also the Afghan government expected Biden to reverse it. So they did no prep. Like the Afghan government basically started prepping in May hmm. <laughs> or June. Like extru- Like that was when the penny dropped. So for over a year, the Americans, the training team, the NATO training teams have been telling the Afghans, um, really, these we're not holding every district. This is not happening. We need to give up the most rural districts that are miles away. Stop trolling. We can only really supply them with air support. You're not going to, you know, you're not mm. going to hold them. We should pull back to something more sensible. Obviously, all the main cities, all the provincial centers, the ring roads, you know, yeah. hold the kind of core of the country and let some of the more distant rural areas of which, you know, there are many in Afghanistan, hmm. um, just let them go to local control, Taliban, whatever, you know. Yeah, as long as the ring road and the economic hubs are, are maintained. And you've right? got your, your MSRs and, your you know, your customs posts and all that. And hmm. so, and that really, the US have been telling them that, or the NATO allies have been telling them that for a year, but they only really started thinking about it in May. Basically, when in April, when um, Biden said, no, we are actually leaving, you know, he kind of Mm. put the stamp on Trump's decision and said, but we're going to delay it till September, which I think was a logistical thing, because I think the US military hadn't done enough to get Mm. out all their stuff because they thought Biden would reverse it. And at that point, the penny dropped um, amongst the with the Afghan government. They needed to do something. But also that was the point. Of course, May is when the fighting season starts in Afghanistan. So... Mm. um, I mean, even the timing of the deal tells you how little the U.S. understood Afghanistan. They had the final withdrawal date in May, which is mm. the beginning of the fighting season. Why wouldn't you have the final withdrawal date at the end of October or mid-October, which yeah. is the end of the fighting season? So the government's got six months to bed in with a lower level of insurgent military activity. Like It's, it's just so basic. It makes you wonder, right? Um, I mean, it, it really does make you wonder uh, <laughs> how the these decisions are made, right? Ta- Ah, the Talibs in mm. Doha knew that Trump wanted out, full mm. stop, and he didn't give a, he didn't give a monkeys about mm. how that was achieved, mm. and that was very clear. And and Zalmay Khalizad, who's the kind of he's the sort of guy of the U, who's representing the U.S. in these peace talks, and he's been like involved in American policy to do with Afghanistan for decades, and he's rubbish. He's just so mediocre. 
Um, so, you know, the combination of kind of incompetence and stupid campaign promises and all the rest of it. Um, so come May, the fighting season started, the Taliban started, um, pushing into the North, into that area where, you know, where we spoke, you know, um, this is where Ghani, these were where the warlords that Ghani had pushed away. You know, he had much stronger support in some other, in the Pashtun areas. So why start there? Let's create some momentum. And then broadly, once they'd done that, then at a certain point, and I really can't even tell you any dates, like, because... It was also quick as well, though, yeah. yeah. Amazing. So probably, like, beginning of July or mid-July, I don't know, something like that. Mm -hmm. A a series of customs posts were taken at the same time. Yeah. And and everyone said, oh, no, well, that's, you know, that's going to stop the revenue to the government, but that's not how afghanistan works anyway the afghan government was relying on foreign aid and has actually got some reserves uh you know Ghani was a world bank guy right so that's all <laughs> kind of sorted out mm. um and but what it did do here's the thing taking the customs post so the, what what the customs post represent is that is how the kabul government binds in peripheral tribes and clans and ethnicities and interest groups into its system Hmm. And it says in the kind of manner of a Roman tax collector who could, you know, keep a percentage. Hmm. You, they say to whatever in Spin Bulldax, a perfect example, which is the customs post in, you know, Kandahar province, where the Adazai clan of the Achakzai have basically managed that for the government for the last 20 years. And they got very rich doing it. Thanks very much. Hmm. And th- that ensures that the frontiers of the country are safe. Right. So they're totally loyal to the government. They give a bit of money to the government. They get really rich. And so it binds. It's a, it's a political deal. It's not, you know, it's a political deal greased by customs revenue. Yeah. And yeah. there's underreporting and bribes and all the rest of it. So everyone gets very nicely rich. But of course, what that also means is the Adazai, because they were the government, because they had the support of the, you know, the West acted like little shits because mm. it's a 43-year civil war. So everyone in Afghanistan's got some enemies. So, you know, their own guys got through um you know the customs post without paying duties and then other people got tortured and shaken down and their daughters got raped and all that kind of stuff and so when the taliban moved into spin baldak uh they massacred the adazai so in between a hundred and a thousand who knows what the numbers are yeah um got massacred um in uh, and what does that do that makes it impossible for the government to re-establish its even if they could push out from kandahar with a military force and retake spin Baldock, they could but they could no like that they that that clan is broken and yeah. can no longer bind the periphery to the center yeah they've lost that that capital that they held uh, as yeah. as dubious as the deals were and and it was still some nominal power power balance at least and now it's gone and so what this started to do was it started to fracture political deals all over afghanistan because and, and i guess fear as well in my in my correct and understanding yeah. the fear from yeah. the, the those who were still tentatively siding with the government uh, and i've seen your own posts uh, and and of many other people of how quickly sides turned and i think this is also another thing that well we we at least talked about this in in our previous yeah. episode as well is is yeah. is the allegiances uh, that we often misunderstood. It's very easy for us to say cowards and so on. Uh, you know, yeah. they've they've turned they've turned they've sided with the Taliban now. But I think it's a far more complex beast uh, when your life and the life of your entire clan is uh, is on the line, right? Is that is that what's happening? 
yeah so anyone who's alive today in afghanistan is a survivor if you're 50 you've changed sides your entire life right yeah and if you didn't change sides and you got killed or you got unlucky like the Adazai. Mm. so what that means is that it's a bit like a seesaw or a psychological tipping point mm. you know the government and the taliban have got these kind of political franchises where they're trying to do all these deals like the deals i've just described to you over the customs yeah. post, right or there's a checkpoint in that area, or they're growing some drugs or whatever. So there's all this political economy that's holding mm. these franchises together. Yeah. And very cleverly, and I did not see, you know, I totally have not seen this coming. Uh, I've been absolutely stunned by what's happened because I assume that the government franchise was more stable than the Taliban franchise. But it appears that the Taliban franchise was much more stable. And they managed to fracture, starting with the customs post, it started a domino effect. And then the, the political deals that held apart the government franchise, political franchise, which delivers its military power, mm. started to fracture. Why do you refer to it as franchise? Uh, 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 just for context, can you clarify that? Because they're both, uh, you, you refer to them rightly, I think, both as franchises. But maybe just, uh, I think it's a nuanced point that's, that's worth uh, exploring. Well, I think because, like, in, <clears throat> you know, many of our listeners will be in western countries and so they will see the government as an institution but that's not what the government is in afghanistan it's a collection of interest groups it's like a political party and and i mean i don't mean like because obviously we have political parties in our governments but i mean like imagine if the foreign office was controlled by labor yeah and the home ministry was controlled by you know the conservatives and the liberals had another one and all the rest of it and then you've got some kind of de revenue sharing deal deals going on that together yeah. right yeah 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 yeah, yeah. <laughs> so yeah basically they they fractured that government franchise and once it started to go it started to go and basically on friday thursday i think Gardez fell maybe thursday kunders fell yeah and that was the first point where everyone was like, ah. This is because, real. Yeah. 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 Because so the ones that Hani realized in June or whenever it was, that, oh, hang on a minute, this is actually really serious. He then went back to those warlords that he'd spent the last six years alienating and said, hi, would you like to be part of the government? And they were like, uh. Who are you again? So, yeah. 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 So that took a lot to pull together. Um, and it's nuts, right? Because some of these warlords are actual bona fide war criminals. So, mm. like, mm. what are we doing? What constructing? What what are we constructing to beat the Taliban, who are also war criminals? Like, what, mm. <laughs> what kind of Game of Thrones are we involved in here? Yeah. And but there was some the, like a couple of weeks ago, even. And and, and again, I, I I I commend you on your humility on, on saying that you, you you misread some of these things, or not misread, but you were surprised by them. Um, but there were inklings of, of hope almost. There was galvanized resistance. There was at least sufficient, you know, information of the, you know, uh, NSF as uh, special forces and so on. On Wednesday, yeah. I was quoting an op-ed with various international media outlets that basically said uh, there's going to be a stalemate come the end of the fighting season. Mm. The government will hold the major cities and, you know, and then my argument was we got these two political franchises mm -hmm. and um, everyone say go to Doha, but there's no point in that because the government and the Taliban can't enforce the, any deal over their franchises, which is something I think we want to pick up on, like how close to the Doha Talibs 
how much control do they have over what's going on on the ground right now? Like, I think that's a very important point I want to come back to. Well, well, I mean, yeah, we'll come back to it or, or talk to it now even because it's a, it's very relevant, yeah. Yeah, because that's a really relevant point. And it speaks to that franchise of the Taliban part. Yeah, right. So, the you know, the Talibs, like, there's the kind of Quetta guys who have been, and that's the Doha lot are drawn out the Quetta Shura, and, and then there's also the, the Haqqani network further east, and then there's the, the Helmandis who are like Ishak Zai drug lords, and so on and so forth. Like, there's various, like, you know, bits or bits of the Taliban that are built into this franchise. Um, personalities with tribal links, so on and so forth. And so, but, you know, before this week, I was saying, look, these guys are the closer they get to government, the contradictions inherent in the franchise are going to become untenable. For example, the Doha lot said we're going to ban drugs when mm. the, the when we get into power, and the Helmandis, well, that they are a drug network. <laughs> they became Talibs as part of their, you know, to help defend their drug network. Mm. Mm. So, or you know, the Doha lot said to China, you know, the Uyghurs are an internal problem for China. We do not seek to, you know, blah blah blah. Mm. Mm. And I, uh, you know, I don't, there's uh, there's there's what's it called? The East Turkestan Independence Movement is the name of the organisation that is a kind of the Uyghur insurgent terrorist, call it what you like, freedom mm. fighter group, <laughs> whatever whatever terminology, yeah. depending on which side of the where you sit, yeah, where yeah. you where you sit. Uh, they have definitely operated in Taliban in sorry in Afghanistan before. Probably quite a few of them in Badakhshan, which is the northeastern province that abuts China. Mm, mm. uh so how you know how does that play out you know and then and then we've really clearly seen like because the doha talibs were saying we're not going to take Kabul by force we've very clearly seen that this has come apart at this point and so there's two theories right you know either the doha talibs don't control the military guys on the ground mm. and you know they're from a different generation the doha talibs the quetta talibs are like the guys from the original government back in whenever mm. it was 2000 right so they're a completely different generation to a lot of the Talibs now are like weren't alive in 9-11. A lot of the guys pulling the trigger weren't alive in 9-11. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Right? It's a different That's war again for them. Yeah. Might be older, but like they grew up. Mm. Maybe they were born during the Taliban regime or something. Or they grew up in Afghanistan, in sorry, in Pakistan in a, you know, in a camp, or they mm. live in a madrasa or something, you know, whatever. So they're young and they're right now, they are flush with victory. Yeah. Their eyes will be popping out of their heads. They will be wanting to get into Kabul and give it Reach to the Kufar. Yeah. Yeah. Because there's, you know, there's still, right. So this is the other thing we've got to work. It's like crazy. So on Friday, Head Art fell and then Kandahar fell, mm. which is stunning. Yeah. Mind, mind blowing. And that happened all because of deals like Ismail Khan, who two weeks ago was like, uh, is an old Mujahideen leader who fought the Soviets was Soviets was, was getting his old militia together and giving the Taliban a kicking. Mm. And then, but then it turns out that basically, cause this is the thing, the government was represented by different types of military force in each province. So there was like maybe jihadi leaders like, mm. Ismail Khan. There might have been other types of government-sponsored militias, maybe sponsored by the government intelligence service. Yeah. There would have been police. There would have been army, and there probably would have been special forces, maybe tacked on or commandos or whatever. Right? Mm -hmm. But the Afghan special forces and commandos were very effective, by the way. They fought everywhere they went really effectively. Mm. 
but then what happened is, so you what do you do if you're the Talib? You aim at the weakest part of that coalition, right? So maybe you can get the police to defect or one of those militias that's allied or maybe the jihadi leader, maybe you can flip him or whatever, right? Yeah. So they just went in and just fractured each. Yeah. And before we know it, we've got Ismail Khan, like he's a Talib now. <laughs> yeah. This is a guy who like fought the Talibs back in the day, got captured by them in 94, God, when was her art taken? 94, 95? and you know tortured or whatever and now like and now he is a talib flying to kabul yesterday to convince atanur one of the other jihadi leaders in the north to peel away from dostum events are moving so fast that by the Mm. time he got there or 20 hours after he got to kabul dostum and atanur who've hated each other for years (laughs) had jumped in all the black hawks that the American government had given them and flown into Uzbekistan and fucked off. <laughs> like, totally wow. nuts. Yeah. Because another coalition fractured up there. In Kandahar, the elders, basically, it's all negotiated across tribal lines. So in Herat, mm. the head of the provincial council was Alazai, the major Taliban commander was Alazai. There you go. Yeah, done. Yeah. yeah. Right? In Kandahar, not clear what happened yet. But as soon as Kandahar city fell and the government withdrew to... Um, the army base and Kandahar airfield, Karzai flew out of Kabul down to Kandahar airfield. And we mm. don't know this, but effect, shortly after landing at Kandahar airfield, he negotiated the surrender of those forces, right? Amnesty for surrender. And then he went back to Kars, which is his village in like just south of Kandahar city. So obviously he's, so, so Karzai, watch out, you know, mark my words, Karzai obviously mm. is angling for... Come back up, yeah foreign minister because they offered him a job back originally in the original government he turned down for some reason uh and then you know we know his history since 2001 but then obviously he's now angling for a <laughs> influential i mean it, it, it's it's crazy and i think and i think it's important to to stress the point there as well when we say kandahar fell you know all these various other regional centers are falling i yeah. think there's a there's a there's there's perhaps a perception in our minds uh, for those of us who are not on the ground, that it's, yeah, that it's, you know, combat, front lines, vic- victory. The, yeah. the militias, in almost every case, the locally allied militias switch sides. Yeah. And then the army commanders read the runes and surrendered or switched sides. And the mm. army troops were like, quite a lot of videos are circulating of the army troops saying we're up That's to right. this. That's right. Yeah. yeah. And the ones that did fight were the commanders and special forces, but they were, you know, by the end, they were few and far between. Few, yeah. Yeah, and 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 I guess they they would be probably somehow centralized. I'd imagine now uh, to probably well, Kabul, Kabul. I'd imagine. Left. Yeah. Well, so, Kabul left, mate, so yeah. So is that is that what you're? Are you expecting a battle, as in as we know a battle for Kabul, or are we expecting a uh, negotiation uh, as well? This is great, isn't it? Because by the time the podcast comes out, we'll know. We'll know the where, answer. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So you need to do like a, a pre-script or a post-script. Yeah. Well, well, I'm just putting you on the spot, you know, for your next 24-hour yeah. prediction. Well, yeah. <laughs> um, up until this morning when I woke up, I assumed there'd be a negotiation. So what the problem has been, right, is that Hani's refused to resign. Mm. <laughs> so the Taliban were like, once they'd had, once they had like, I don't know, 17 out of 34 provinces or whatever, or like mm. most mm. of the major cities, whatever, right? I mean, it's obvious. As soon as Kandahar fell, that's it. The psychological yeah. tipping point had been reached, and everyone else was then looking for the deal. What's the deal? Mm. Yeah. Right. 
So everyone can everyone can read that, or anyone who's a politician can. Rani's a technocrat, so he can, <laughs> he's living in a cloud cuckoo land, right? Well, it's funny reading his Twitter posts. I mean, his Twitter posts are almost laughable because he's kind of saying it's it's, it's yeah. laughable because he's sending the message of you know we will stand and we will we will resist yeah. and oh, uh, yeah. but it's almost but, coming at the and that just. Would just that would just kill people. Like that's just that's people are just going to die pointlessly. The Taliban are going to be in charge of Kabul within the next 24 hours. There you go. There's your prediction. Yeah. And at the outside of the next 48 hours. And the reason that is, it should not have got to that. Rani should have resigned after Kandahar fell to allow a transitional government, basically a Taliban government with Karzai or something. Yeah. Whatever. Whatever the deal was. Doesn't matter. Like, as long as you're not fighting for a city of four million people. Like, yeah. it's stupid. But the bloodthirst, I, mean, I think you made the point, the bloodthirst of the young Talibs now, that's, the, that's a real... Consider and we know them. I'm not resigning. Like that was the that was the Taliban's yeah. condition. Yeah, yeah. Well, That's they had lots of conditions, but that was a kind of red line for them. And we'd also know. I mean, I think you've talked about this in your other book. While we fight, you know, the uh, or maybe I'm paraphrasing, but you know, the 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 bloodthirst uh, moment does take over in victory uh, when you've kind of got the enemy, whoever your enemy might be withdrawing, surrendering, and so on and so forth, that's when the bloodthirst really kicks off. And that's what yeah. we're seeing. I mean, there's multiple reports of, you know, atrocious, atrocious things happening in all yeah. the various places yeah. where, you know, that, that have fallen, beheadings, torture, mass but that's, executions. That's Badal, mate, yeah? Mm. So that's Badal, which is revenge. Yeah, yeah. Um, and the deal with Badal is like a lot of these people who've been on the government in the government franchise have been lording it over all the people who haven't been in the government franchise. And now, now that the other guys have got the upper hands. Yeah. Payback. They're, take, they're set. Yeah. It's payback time. A lot mm. of scores are being settled. And of course, in settling these scores, the Taliban are setting up the next so Badal That's cycle. Right. Yeah. The next cycle. Right. Don't, th don't think that if, when, once Taliban take over, Afghanistan's going to be at peace. Mm. No, no, of course. Yeah. Civil war yeah. continues. Yeah, it's uh, and conscious of the time, Mike, and I know that you've got uh, other other engagements and other things to follow up on. But yeah, we can't not talk about the external stakeholders uh, who are yeah. having an impact uh, in, yeah. in Afghanistan. You know, yeah. of course, US, of course, Australia was the first one to close our embassy. You know, Brits, you mm. guys are, are basically out as well. Um, there, you know, I see. They, uh, I see the Australians have just announced a couple of battle groups to go on standby or something to, yeah and we're sending in some uh, remarkably late <laughs> yeah well we're also sending some uh, some planes to get uh, get australians out Hello. and so on and so forth i think okay. the us are doing the same i think brits are re-rolling some people and sending what i think you're sending about 300 or 600 troops or something no, no, to... no, we're sending we're sending a, a a para battle group 600 Okay, six hundred. Uh, yeah, the yeah. Marines are sending five thousand. Sorry, the US is sending five thousand US Marines. That's right, and that's but that's basically so, to facilitate the the, the exodus of foreigners, in particularly that's the, whole, the that's yeah. to hold the airport because yeah. the embassy yeah. zones are basically the European embassies are basically gone. Mm. Uh, the civilians yeah. are out of the American embassy already. The there are some US military still left there, but you know, it's not, you know, they'll be gone. Right. Some point. So, so there is still quite hold more locations. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So, and 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 therein lies the fact that you know the West broadly, as in at least the the kind of you know at least our West, uh, the Anglo West, uh, is lifting mm -hmm. its hand off uh, from Afghanistan. Uh, but there are of course other players in the region that will uh, try to exercise their power and control. And uh, you've been again quite public about some of those. I mean, you know, without a doubt, mm -hmm. Pakistan, China, uh, those two mm -hmm. are uh, key players. Mm -hmm. Maybe you can talk a little bit about that, those dynamics and what, what, what is at play, uh, who's yeah. playing what, and, and you know, again, <laughs> well, what, what, think, what are we likely to see? 
I think I think that you know this is the, the this is the end of America in that part of the world. You know, two thousand one, America was effectively able to unilaterally roll in, and then again in two thousand three, unilaterally effectively into Iraq. Right, that's that's over for sure. Um, the three big powers, or the ones who've got the ability to cause the greatest trouble, are China, Russia, and India. Hmm. Um, and then, of course, all the neighbouring countries, as we've discussed, have kind of got their own ethnic. Yeah, they've got their fingers in that pie. Stakeholders. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So I think there's a big question around, you know, who owns this? And this comes back actually to the situation now, right? We're, doing, we're trying to do a, a NEO, a, a hmm. non-combatant evacuation operation right now. It's literally the planes are taking off as we speak in yeah. Kabul, right? Yeah, 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 exactly. So, yeah. And the Taliban have already sprung the prison in Kabul. And they're already like on the outskirts of the city, right? So it's literally a race against time. And so then the question is like what it's been said by everyone that no one's going to recognize, including China, no one's going to recognize the Taliban government imposed by force, right? But that, who knows what, whether that'll be worth the papers written. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Or in 10 minutes or whatever. And the, but then there's a, is there a danger that the, hostages could be taken probably not i think most people are out in the airport now so maybe that hostage risk has receded but then how whether there's a clash or what happens to u.s embassy or you know the, all these things seem to speak about legitimacy it seems to me the u.s is not going to recognize the taliban government so is china going to recognize the taliban government hmm. because the government the taliban government needs a sponsor right hmm. which seems to me to be china is the obvious sponsor hmm. of that government uh, and because the US is not going to sponsor the Taliban government. Hmm. And you could view that, you know, if you're an American strategist, you can view that in one of two ways. Like one, you could view it as an American disaster. And the other is you could view it as an American success. I mean, the optics, they've screwed up the optics. Hmm. But handing off Afghanistan to China to make it China's problem, um, you could argue it is a American success. The way they've right. handled been atrocious and they've totally misjudged the timing and the pace and all the rest of it well, well in other words let china spend some trillions uh in there is that what you mean because us has spent what yeah. two trillion yeah yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, 2. yeah. Trillion. and then the question is like what because there's all these problems with the uyghurs and the militancy and all yeah. the rest of it like, you know and china wants to do its bri through there through afghanistan and through the central asian states as minerals mm. it wants it's trying to do cpec which is the china pakistan economic corridor which is a series of roads mm. and rails and stuff down to guada in pakistan yeah so it's trying to get a bunch of like access the indian ocean access the mediterranean through afghanistan and iran so it's got a whole bunch of dreams that requires a hand in afghanistan for so then then of course we come to the you know the role of pakistan which you know the u.s pakistani relationship has been difficult <laughs> to say the least mm, since 2001 mm, mm. because on one hand they've kind of sheltered and supported the taliban but on the other hand they've been you know america's partner in the war on terror and you know it's just crazy yeah bizarre. this is what yeah. i mean by american didn't sort out you know the regional cognitive dissonance oh, at a strategic level yeah amazing yeah, it's and how the americans didn't sort out the the regional stuff like what's the point in sending all those troops to afghanistan spending all that money if you're not going to sort out the regional stuff it's just a complete waste of money and but then so as china as america's disengaged from pakistan or disengaged from afghanistan it's needed pakistan less therefore china stepped in it's doing the cpec all the rest of it but the chinese already are getting pissed off with the pakistanis there was a bomb attack by pakistani militants on a on chinese workers on the bri project a cpec project uh what two week ago two weeks ago right uh the chinese then replaced 
the guy who was running up CPEC in Pakistan, a Pakistani, right? So they told mm. the Pakistani government, you got to change that guy. Hmm. So I see what you, you mean know, now. I mean, it, yeah, initially it's not necessarily initially apparent what you mean by this might be an advantage for the US in its kind of uh, contest with China. But you know, it, it is the it is where empires are broken, right? Afghanistan and, and there are a number of <laughs> well, there are a number of means. Oh, that the are British going Empire wasn't. I'd like to point out the British Empire wasn't broken there. <laughs> well, okay, well, um, did it did it actually retain control long enough to? No, Shaven. but I think that the Brits, the Brits achieved their strategic policy, which was to create a buffer zone against Russia to protect um, India. That was the aim of Brits, Britain's strategic policy in the 1800s, and they achieved that. And mm. yes, yeah, but what was the uh, maybe an impo- important point then? What was the American strategic, as you understand it, American strategic? Huh. Uh, no, but that's mm-hmm. a, because I think it, it relates yeah, to that yeah. point because I think you, you you hit a nail on the head there. What was it the wasn't American strategic policy? Because the war on terror wasn't a geostrategic operation. It understood the world in terms of ideologies, but that's not how the world works. And it's certainly not how the world works in terms of the places where some of these militants live, like Pakistan, Somalia, Mm. Yemen, Mm. Afghanistan, Mm. places are tribal. And they have particular cultures and histories that you need to understand. And if you don't understand them, going in and going you're either a terrorist or you're not which is literally yeah. the kind of that was the level of intellect that went into the war on terror yeah and of course you're gonna not achieve your aims it was it was nonsense it was just total 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 intellectual bankrupt nonsense mm. and i've been wrong about many things over the past couple of weeks but i've been saying that for over a decade mm. Mm. yeah and certainly been proven right on that now now china again just to just to kind of close that loop on china uh yeah, am yeah. i am i right in in if memory serves china did have negotiations with the talibs in doha mm. right they 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 yeah, and this and is china. not china yeah, yeah. barada went over to china and was received by the right. chinese foreign minister just like a week a couple of weeks ago yeah okay so 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 that relationship is almost becoming uh, well formalized and i think maybe you might be reading the tea leaves there by saying or asking the question is china going to recognize uh taliban is it in their interest to not necessarily go and make the same mistakes and and try and force an issue uh as opposed to just look at interests uh alone uh and if it's in their interest to to agree agree that you know taliban uh, is the rightful owner of uh or rightful ruler of afghanistan yeah. that might serve yeah. their interest perfectly fine well you know it's i think what well, i don't know you know it's, it's hard to say isn't it but everyone remembers where they were uh at 9-11 right mm. and for those who are involved in this or in any way interested in politics your history one wonders if this will be remembered you know the fall of kabul to the taliban will be remembered as the other bookmark mm. everyone remembers mm. where they were you know mm, 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 mm. Uh, you know like suez saigon yeah. these places yeah. where huge geostrategic shifts have occurred and now, you know, as we discussed, that's not necessarily a good or a bad thing from a kind of Western American perspective, if we're looking at it in kind of real politic terms. But certainly it's been handled uh, disastrously. Yeah. Mike, I'm conscious of the time and we've, uh, uh, we're, yeah. you've got other things going on. But just maybe in closing, uh, is there anything that, uh, that we haven't touched on that you think is important right now that's relevant to this current uh, context? Um. I think there's 
there's a there's a huge basically the there's a huge humanitarian crisis going on um at the moment in afghanistan um you, the, the fighting has kind of probably i don't know up a million or something eight hundred thousand afghans on top of the four million that are already displaced from the previous 43 years of the war so <laughs> i don't know how i don't really know what i'm saying except to highlight that i don't know how it will go forward i don't know whether depends on which governments recognize afghanistan whether humanitarian agencies will be able to get in there i mean we're at the stage of dishing out rice and cooking oil here Mm. Um, do you think that the that that emergency, the humanitarian emergency, is sufficiently well recognized and echoing through the various halls of power around the world? Uh, no, I mean, I think the various West, I think the various halls of power are trying to work out what the hell is going on mm. um, and how it happened so quickly, and yeah. moved so fast, and, and what it means for their interests. You know, obviously citizens countries with citizens in Afghanistan have been focused on that hmm. getting them out uh countries without citizens but in the region are, you know the, the, obviously the regional countries without citizens as well so they're worried about that but they're also worried about you know everything else hmm. India is the head must be spinning um they've you know along with the US and NATO they've invested heavily in Afghanistan over the last 20 years uh, partly as a hedge against Pakistan, right? India and Pakistan have played out their rivalry in Afghanistan over the last twenty years, so India is a big loser. That's a but that's yeah, that's finish, that's something that's yeah. very little understood, I think. Um, yeah, 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 yeah. But to finish, I want to highlight that humanitarian disaster. So, you know, if there's charities that you know of that um, are delivering, like I say, we're talking basic foodstuffs um, in Afghanistan at the moment, then slip them a bit of cash. Yeah. Very real and very sobering. Mike, thank you yeah. so much and we'll be in touch. Uh, I'll be closely following your, uh, your post as well as, uh, as are uh, the thousands of others that are doing it. Thanks for your time. We'll chat soon. All right. Thank you. Bye. Thanks for joining us for another episode of The Voices of War. You can access all episodes on www.thevoicesofwar.com or by subscribing wherever you get your favourite podcasts. And while you're there, please give us a review as we'd love to hear what you think. If you'd like to recommend a guest for the show, you can reach me on info at thevoicesofwar.com.